but at my age, it's good to be anywhere. <laughs> and I know we're going to have a great meeting tonight because I got out of bed and put my back out and, and drove down in that condition. So that normally means we're going to have a good healing meeting. <laughs> this, this is a fantastic building. Of course, I've, I've not seen this before. And being a visionary, I just love to see these buildings. I mean, you're only a new church. Comparatively, we were going eight years before we ever got a building. And then, would you believe it, the Lord's got a sense of humor. We grew, outgrew it in two years and went back into rented again. <laughs> and we rented for another eight years. And then uh, we, we started to outgrow this one, but we couldn't afford to go, out, to go past this one. This one, we've got all the thousand. So we decided to have multi-services instead. And... Um, it just means now that um, as you're getting older and you forget, you've got three services to remember the sermon. And so it helps you a lot. But this really is a fantastic place. And I just, uh, I just think it's marvellous what's happening here. And I believe the Lord's going to increase you and develop you. You're going to be significant in your town as you're already beginning. And in the community here, amongst the business community. And uh, you'll either again get a bigger building or the people next door will move out. Uh, prophetic, and uh, and then you'll start taking them over one by one, and then I'll have to start letting you have the houses for your full-time staff, and they'll be going, don't don't laugh at it. These things happen. We've just um, we went through a difficult development time in our church, and we just rebuilt a brand new. T- t- I was going to retire last year, and it didn't work out, and we just rebuilt a complete new team and appointed twelve people, new people in a year. And uh, I'm now so much older than the rest now, I qualify for everything over 60. And um, we've, uh, we've, we've really seen an excitement in the church to, we have a very poor part of our town, uh, which is the fourth poorest in Britain. And in the south, we're the 25th richest. So the divide is as dramatic as that. But we're building a brand new building for them, rather than spending it on Soli Hall, where we are. And uh, by September, they'll have their building that will hold about 200, and it'll have a coffee shop, and it will have a creche right in the middle of a needy area. <clears throat> and so, God's doing great things, and I just sense you are significant in St. Hostel as we try to be in Soli Hall. <clears throat> I want to share with you what I think is a gift of God that is so lacking today that we need it like never before. And it's a gift which must not be exchanged for similar gifts. And that's the gift of wisdom. I want as our base scripture to speak from Proverbs 22, 17 through 24. Proverbs 22, 17 through 24. It's headed in some Bibles, the sayings of the wise. This is what the writer says. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it is pleasant thing if you keep them within you. Repeat with me. We will try. Let them be fixed upon your lips so that your trust may be in the Lord. I've instructed you today, even you, say even me. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge? 
that I may make you know the certainty of the word of truth, that you may answer words of truth to those who send to you. Do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gates, for the Lord will plead their cause and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. Make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man. Do not go. What is he saying? He's saying who you mix with, you become. Now, isn't it strange as adults, if we came from an averagely good home, our parents always said this, mind who you're playing with, and I don't like you playing with him or her. They are a bad influence. And that is true in many cases. So why is it when we're adults we don't listen to it? Why is it we sit with gossips and we sit with negative people? Now negative people aren't people who disagree, they're people who disagree because they're negative. We can all disagree, but there's a manner in disagreement. There's a manner in questions. I used to have a leader in my church who's now suddenly got Alzheimer's and he used to say, um, so-and-so... No. Now, what's the question? And he'd laugh, and I'd say, don't laugh at being negative. And suddenly now he's caught up with him. And now he's ill and can't be positive because he doesn't know how to anymore. And so who we mix with determines what we become. Now, Proverbs tells us there's four types of wisdom. And the truth is we need them all. But three are not God-given, even though I'm going to contradict you by saying, with my background of being acutely dyslexic and not being able to read until I was 18, then God actually did give me all these three before the fourth. But normally speaking, three of these four you do not need to be a Christian to have. Many people on this estate, many people in your colleges, in your work, have these three, sometimes greater than we have. The first gift of wisdom that Proverbs acknowledges is educational and academically wise. It talks about those who are gifted and skilled such as weavers and artists and artisans. And there is a need for us. There is no bliss in being ignorant. I know. Not being able to read and write till I was 18. Being completely uneducated. Being able to write my name and address when I left school totally void of any education. There's no joy or pleasure in that, having to make excuses why you can't read something. And there's no embarrassment if you are like that, because if you're like that here, this church can teach you to read. It's only pride that stops us. And so when I was 18, couldn't read and write. And so by saying, well, I'm a Christian, that's all that matters, is not all that matters. I need to fill forms in. I need to progress in my job. I need to look for a job. And so Ecclesiastes and Proverbs turn around and say, it's good to work hard, whatever you find your hand to do. Do it with all your might. If God leads you that way, that you might be leaders and not just followers. And so Ecclesiastes says, seek wisdom. Progress. I know it's hard work studying for your A-levels. Progress. I know it's hard work stopping five years in an apprenticeship with no guarantee for a job. Stick to it. 
Be hard workers. But secondly, Proverbs speaks of those with keen insight into life and the ways of dealing with problems. Now we call that worldly wise or street wise. It means we know what's going on out there and we're not easily going to be conned. Now that is not my wife. If you take my wife on holiday anywhere and she walks through a market, you warn her. Now Ma, the stuff here isn't real. I know I'm not stupid. And then she'll pick up a ring and say, this is, this is a good price for gold, real gold. You say, real gold, love, doesn't send your fingers green. No, but this is real gold. You know, my wife's the type of person who'll pick up a Rolex at £3.70 and say, it's a real Rolex, and you'll say, no, they're £8, love, real Rolexes. She is not streetwise in any way. But a lot of people out there, maybe you here today, you have a wisdom that you can go out into the marketplace, you can walk around, and you know exactly what the price of things are, you're not conned, you can go around the supermarket, you know where the best prices are, you're streetwise. And the Bible says that's good to be like that. Naivety is not a gift, it's attractive in some people, especially when I hadn't got an education, my wife was naive, which made me look more intelligent than her. And so I rather loved marrying a woman that made me look good. But even though we may have fun with naivety, we might go, ah, oh, there, it gets you into big trouble. You need to be streetwise. And Ecclesiastes tells us that we should be streetwise. Thirdly, there's those who have a way of thinking that is orderly, socially sensitive, and morally upright. <clears throat> and we call that maturity-wise. How often have you said to people, oh, grow up. Paul put it this way, I wanted to really teach you great things, but you were too immature, and you were still on milk. But he said, I myself have put away childish things. And you know, I say this to Christians, they all nod until somebody sits in your seat next Sunday, and then you sulk. And somebody forgot to acknowledge your, 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 your birthday, and you're thinking this is a sign of God to find another church. And the answer is, in all respect, grow up. Throw your dummy out of the out, out of the pram and not yourself. Grow up. Because there's always somebody else that we know that needs to grow up, but not us. And the Bible talks about us becoming mature in our wisdom. So there's things before that we did we don't do now, and there's things that we don't do then that we do now because we have grown up. But fourthly, which is the one that we're talking about mainly today, it's those who have an understanding of the will and purpose of God, and they're spiritually wise. They're the ones that have knowledge you will not get out of a textbook. You will not get out of a lecture, and you will not even get out of a seminar from church. It's a direct intervention between the Holy Spirit and yourself. And it gives you a wisdom which actually can affect the other three. Now, in the world, they have the other three, maybe better than some of us, but they don't have the fourth. But it's impossible to have the fourth without affecting the other three. So, you see, when you've got spiritual wisdom, it affects what you do with your education. It affects how you approach your education, because you're not just doing it for your own gratification and your career and your job. So, you don't just move a job because it's £5,000 a year more. You ask the question... Should I be staying at this church? 
It's not putting your child to a university that makes you feel good, but there's no spiritual witness there. And by taking one one step down, there's a good Christian union, so your kid doesn't just get a 2-1 or a first and backslides, they get a slightly lower one, but stay with God. That is the wisdom that God brings to education. So you don't just move your job for the money, but for what does God want you to do? And you don't just take a university because it looks good, it doesn't do your kid good. So when you have spiritualism, it affects that, and it affects you streetwise. You seem to be able to suss things out more than you used to be able to. And it helps you grow up in God and grow up in the world. So that actually a Christian is a good person to have on your payroll, not, oh my goodness, I've got a Christian on my payroll. So if we, pay, if we maintain and we can get the fourth wisdom of God, it will affect the other three. But the other three doesn't give you the fourth. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what is wisdom? So that we know what we're talking about. It has three major dynamics. It's first of all, it's the quality of having experience. You do not get wisdom without experience. I mean, isn't it funny, funny, you're sent to a doctor in a hospital for an operation, you can't have faith with the doctor unless you know what his background is. You're allowed to say to the doctor now, how many times have you codged this up? He's got to tell you. You've got to say to him, how experienced are you? I've heard doctors say, I've never done the operation before, but I've watched the video. And I'd go run screaming out of the hospital, to be truthful. I, I would rather have somebody who's got wisdom through experience. When you're doing an apprenticeship, they used to put you with a man of experience who actually could do the job. Now, in the army, you ask anybody who's been an officer, they say to a second lieutenant, if you've got any brains, when you go to your unit, find yourself a good staff sergeant and learn how to be a soldier from him because he knows what he's doing. If there's anybody had military here or Navy experience, a petty officer, chief petty officer, who is born and bred in the Navy, knows more than a soldier's learned or a sailor at Dartmouth or at Sandhurst. You see, you're nodding. Because they've done it. And so... Wisdom means experience, the quality of having experience. But then it means the quality of having knowledge so that you actually know. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. And once you know something, it gives you wisdom. So if you wanted to know about football, because I used to be in pro football, as some of you know, and you wanted to know some of the old stars, I have knowledge of them. I could talk to you all day about Brian Clough. I could talk to you about a lot of these people because I know them. Paul says, I speak that which I do. No. And so wisdom has experience and wisdom has knowledge. But then it has good judgment. You're not wise if you keep making wrong decisions. England manager wasn't very wise over in the European games, was he? He kept making five or six changes in his team. There was no wisdom there because his judgment was impaired and it cost him his job. So when you're wise, it's because you've got experience of something, you've got the knowledge of something, and you judge correctly in something. So if any time we need wisdom in our nation today, it's today. Both sides of the recent debate have had Christians who firmly believe that God supported their political observations for every Christian who said God wants us to leave because of Babylon, there were Christians who said we should stay because of witness. 
And that is okay. We're allowed to do that. However, some who are experienced in the prophetic know that it is dangerous to seek scriptures to support your ideology. Yet to achieve this, we have to take the scripture out of context. See, true wisdom, here's what the Spirit is saying to the church. So in our nation and in our churches, Christians should be asking, seeking, watching and listening to what the Spirit is saying, not to what the politicians are saying. Because we have found, be you in or out, both sets lied. <coughs> Which showed <coughs> that the, mora- the morality of politics in our nation at the moment is very low. I asked people a simple question. Did you ask the Lord for his will to be achieved in the referendum? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, get on with it. Because God didn't wake up on Friday morning going, oh, myself. What has gone wrong? He knew what would happen. Secondly, if you didn't ask for God's wisdom, apologize and get on with it. Because we have to serve God You're good, I've got one under here, but that's even better. Because that one is servanthood, thank you. We've got to serve God in this country regardless of what happens in this country. Wisdom. Don't fall out with each other. Therefore, we as Christians depend on the apostolic gifting to bring us wisdom. There are three books in the Old Testament just on wisdom. Job, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And if you read the Apocrypha or you're a Roman Catholic, there's a fourth called the Book of Wisdom. Yet in the New Testament, one preacher majors on it. And that's James. Chapter 1, verse 5, he says this, But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, And it will be given unto him. Now, why did James say that? Because regardless of your theology of prosperity or persecution, because we're always creatures of of, of excessiveness, we either believe that God's destiny is for us to be prosperous and never be sick, and those, we've got to be sick and always suffer. We never, ever want to sit in the middle. That's why we have aisles. (laughs) To keep you theologically apart from each other. So the Calvinists sit on one side and the Armenians on the other, but I won't ask you which ones at the moment. Because as Methodists, you're supposed to be Wesleyan Armenians, but never mind. But James starts this letter by saying, actually, Christians will be tested. Christians will be persecuted. Now, without name dropping, because it will turn as many of you off as on, two years ago I had lunch with the Pope as one does. And then he arranged for me to go and see where Peter was buried. They hold, a lot, they hold a lot on this. We don't. But they hold a lot on this. So I went to see where Peter was buried, saw his bones, down underneath the Vatican. But then they took me to see where Paul was buried. Now many of you know, Paul being a Roman was not crucified. He was beheaded because Romans were never crucified. It was so barbaric. 
citizens of Rome were always beheaded. They were not crucified. So Paul was beheaded. And the priest stood there and he said, see that hill? I said, yes. He said, that's the chapel we have designated to St. Paul. But do you know what lies in the head, in the hill? I said, no. He said, Caesar was so angry at the time he killed Paul. He was so manic that he demanded if any of his soldiers were Christians and would not deny their faith, they were to step forward. And he slew 10,026 soldiers. And they're all buried in that hill. So they didn't become a Christian for an easy life. They laid down their life. Now, history had never told me that 10,026 soldiers laid down their life because they were Christians at the same time of Paul. You see, Christianity does have an element of suffering in it. The Bible says the sun and the rain shines on the righteous as well as the unrighteous. And I find some naughty people get healed and some righteous people die. I have, I have a pastor at the moment in my church dying of cancer. He's the most fantastic, godly man you'll ever met. I've got people coming to my church who are Hindu, Sikhs and Buddhists and get healed immediately from terminal cancer. There is no question. I don't understand why. I don't ask. I just pray. I'm the postman. I don't read the letters. But Christians do suffer. And James is saying this. If you haven't got wisdom, you won't know how to take it, how to cope with it, and how to survive through it. And James is saying, what happens when we are suffering? He says, what happens is we begin to get proven. Our faith is proven. Our faith is meaningful. And that comes through wisdom. And that wisdom is only obtained by faith. Oh, so what happens is we come to God by faith, we obtain wisdom, and then we can understand when things come at us, are they from God? Or are they from the world? Are they from stupidity? You see, if we eat silly, drink silly, and drive silly, don't blame the devil because you have a crash or a heart attack. I had a heart attack at the age of 42. I was working 80 hours a week and eating wrong, so it was the devil. That was my bad lifestyle. We learn wisdom. Sometimes I've been attacked by the enemy. I've had people try to kill me, shoot me, stab me, and the Lord's told me, he said, the devil wants to kill you today, but I've prayed for you. So I know wisdom-wise what is of the devil and what is of stupidity. Anybody feel inspired enough to say amen? So let's just look again at the qualities of wisdom. The quality of having experience. See, wisdom is not a clinical attribute. It's a relational attribute. So when you have walked with the Lord and stayed close to him, you begin to see things as he sees them and understand things as he does them. When I was a young evangelist, I wasn't a young evangelist, I was just a young Christian who wanted to be an evangelist, I linked with a man who was a sort of, and I don't mean this rudely, he was a bit weird really. He was from Gloucestershire, spoke like this all the time, you know, me thinks that, me thinks this, and where he went, he speaks like this. That was great, but not in Birmingham, you don't, he speaks like this, but he speaks like this. But miracles happened wherever he went. I went with him to a place called The Lanes, near High Wycombe, and we started a service at 11 o'clock one morning, and we sang our first hymn, and he said, let, let us raise our hands in the singing of this hymn, shall we? So we raised our hands, and then we finished the hymn, and we went into silence, and silence. 
And then there was silence. And then after that, there was silence. And I tried to take my hands down, but I couldn't. I went back up again. And I brought them down. They went back up again. Now, after a while, he turned around and he said, sit down. He said, don't look at your watches. How long have we been standing in the presence of God? And somebody said, 15 minutes. He said, two hours. I defy you to stand here with your hands in the air for two hours. Time stood still. That was the type of man he was. Never had that happen in my life again. Time stood still. And for two hours, we stood there with our arms in the air in silence before God. It only seemed 10 minutes. I'd see people walk, see. And so I used to walk around and I used to just do what that dear man did. <clears throat> I used to make sure he had a cup of water. I used to carry his Bible. I used to ask him questions in the car going home. And then after a while, I'd say to him, do you know when you called that woman out and said she got cancer, God told me that 10 minutes before you called her out. And and, and you know when you said that man, there's a man over here who's got to have his leg amputated, I knew who he was. And we talk about it, about what God was doing. And then he'd say to me, uh, me thinks if you've got a word, you need to come and tell me. So I'd say, that lady over there, I think she's got heart trouble. And he'd say, is this lady here, you've got heart trouble? Yes, come here, my dear. And then after about a couple of years, he called me in one day and he said, well, this is goodbye. I said, what do you mean? He said, God's told me you don't need me anymore. You're off on your own now, lad. And he launched me as an evangelist. You see, he gave me wisdom in God, which was quality of having experience. I'm confident of this very thing, that he has begun a good work, and begun a good work in me, will complete it. If he ain't begun it, you've got no experience. Now, at his death, because he went to minister in Latin America, and he got a virus which paralyzed him from the neck down. And he died. And his wife phoned me up and she said, I've been able to rearrange all his bookings except this big one. And I've asked them, I've told them you would take it. And I said, I'm not Eddie Smith. I don't preach like him. I don't talk like him. I'm nothing like him at all. She said, but you knew him. So I get there and I apologize that I'm not Eddie Smith. But what I didn't remember was I preached up north of England once and miracles started to happen and somebody came to me and said now I know you won't know of him but I've only ever seen one person moving this gift a man called Eddie Smith I said I served him and as I got to the end of the service and we prayed and God was doing things with people and bodies everywhere and God was breaking out the convener got up and he said the spirit of Elijah is upon Elisha you see who you with you become who you associate with you talk like. So a person who's with Jesus often talks like him. A person who spends a lot of time with the Lord acts like him. You see, you can't move in the power of the Spirit if you're not conversant with the Spirit. Spend hours with the Spirit. I spent two years reading the words of Jesus in red so that when people preached on Jesus, I'd say, he never said that. See, if you know somebody well enough, you know how they speak. So being in football, there's a lot of swearing in football. Does that shock you? A lot of swearing. 
And I met a manager once and he said, oh, I met a manager who said he saw you last week and you said, be this, F this, F this, be this. He said, good job, I know you don't swear because he swore every other word. He said, but I know you don't. Because he spent time with me, he knew I don't swear. So when this football manager was saying my conversation, he did, he was putting all the Fs and Bs in. See, folks, there is no shortcuts of being with Jesus. There's no shortcuts of being with the Holy Spirit. There's no shortcuts of being in the vision of this church. You will never understand the vision of this church unless you sit with the visionaries. You'll just query everything that happens because you won't understand it. And there's nothing wrong with not understanding it, but when there's knowledge, you need to get it. You still with me? Number two, the quality of having knowledge. I am quite appalled at the lack of knowledge that Christians have in the Bible. When I was a young person, there was only about three versions of the Bible. Now there's 36, 40 versions of the Bible. I've got it on my phone, on my iPad. I've got it everywhere. I've got every known Bible in my, in, in, in my bookcases. But today, people don't quote scripture. They quote feelings. Well, I feel this is right, and I just feel God saying to me, and I feel this. Yeah, feelings can't be trusted. When Jesus was tempted, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. I have people come to me and say, I've got one at the moment now. He's just run off with another woman, committed adultery. God wants me to be happy. I said, you'll never find that in the Bible anyway. What scriptures? You're reading from the book of imagination? You see, the way we resist evil, the way we overcome it, and the reason we come right is because we know the word. Thy word have I hid in my heart, I will not sin against you. If you want to get wise, read the Bible. The Bible is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my way. Paul says, I speak that which I know. I deliver unto you that which I've also received. You see, the transformed blind man said, only one thing I know, once I was blind, but now I see. There has to be a knowledge. Now, you can be a new Christian like the blind man, but he said, I'm not going into theology. I'm not going into doctrine. I only know one thing. I was blind, but now I see. And that was enough to draw a crowd. Stick to the one thing you know, but build on it. And then the next thing is the second thing you know, and the third thing you know, and the fourth thing you know. Yeah, but that takes time. Well, you've got eternity when you're dead, lad. One thing I know. See, as we lean on him and on godly mentors, we become wise in the things of the kingdom. Study to be approved, says the scripture. Scriptures make one wise, says the scriptures. I sat under rich theological teaching for 18 years. I trained for five years for the ministry and I've personally studied his word for a further 37 years. It's helped me have a bit of wisdom. Some wisdom must have lodged within the mind of even me. Wisdom of his knowledge has until now kept me from deception or self-deception. I was ordained in 1976 with 23 others and there's only three of us left preaching now. Most of those went through adultery. And thirdly, wisdom is the quality of good judgment. Paul tells us to equip saints. Make disciples. The word make means fashion and disciple means a disciplined learner. The question often asked is, what would Christ... See, that's a good question to ask when you do something. What would Christ expect me to do here? If he was standing here watching me, what would he expect the outcome of this conversation to be? 
So if the pastor walked into the room, would I still carry on the conversation? If Christ walked into the room, would I carry on the conversation? If the answer is no, you shouldn't be having it. Next time somebody mouths off at you, that the services are too long, too short, don't like the colour of the chairs, stop and say, how would I feel if Christ was standing here looking at me listening to this? So be polite and say, let's go see the pastor and have this conversation with him because it involves him or the janitor or whoever you got. You see, a bit more wisdom, churches wouldn't split. A bit more wisdom, we would grow faster. A bit more wisdom, we wouldn't have people spreading gossip. Well, aren't I entitled to opinion? No. Not if it's destructive. I mean, if your job is to, dem- is, to de- is to demolish houses, that's a great job, but not when they've just been built. There's lots of places we can set you free to knock down. So what are the spiritual, emotional, and social outcomes? What would God have me do in this situation? You've just heard a testimony. He sat in his car, and God said, well, I've got a good chance of healing, healing him and I. Get out of your car. What would God have him do? He'd have, he did it the right way. Excuse me, sir. May I pray for you? Not, ooh, ooh, I see a glow over you. No, none of that business. The man would go running down the street screaming. Excuse me, sir. I understand you've got a bad arm. May I pray with you? Yes, thanks, mate. More people are willing to receive prayer. The ones that don't are often because we approach them wrong. I had a meeting with the Greek Orthodox Metropolitan, that's a cardinal. And I didn't know that the Greek Orthodox are not allowed to pray with Protestants or they get excommunicated because we are cult. So I have a meeting with him. He wants to know why I'm in, why I'm, why I'm in Bulgaria. So wisdom came and I said, can I ask you a question, sir? How long has your church been in Bulgaria? He said, 1,040 years. I said, I've come to learn. How could I be so stupid to say I've got all the truth and they've been going for 1,040 years? They must have something. I don't know many churches in England that have been going that long. They normally fracture and burn out after 40 years. So I said, can I ask you this, sir? Do you believe in the creed? He went, yes. I said, do you believe God creator of all things? Yes. Do you believe in the virgin birth? Yes. Do you believe that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died on the third day, rose from the dead? He ascended and sits on the right hand of the Father, ever lives to make intercession for us, and he'll come in like manner that we see him go. He went, yes. Do you believe in the authenticity of the word of God? He said, yes. I said, do you believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit? He said, yes. I said, do you believe in one baptism? I said, yes. I said, do you believe in one holy Catholic church? He said, yes. Do you believe in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? He said, yes. I said, let's stop there, sir. We will disagree in the way that we believe those things. We will disagree with the way we wear our robes and swing our incense, and we'll disagree with all that. But what would you do if I told you as a Protestant, I believe that as well? And then I said, not knowing in ignorance, this is wisdom, what stops me praying with you? And he looked at me in front of all his monks, and I had an evangelical here and a Pentecostal here, and they begin to go, shouldn't have asked that. And he looked at me and he grabbed me by the arm, this six foot four man with a big beard, walks me into the center of the monastery in front of all the monks who bow, and he said, we say the Lord's Prayer together. So we stood there, said the Lord's Prayer with our hands on our chest in front of the cross, and then he saw my badge, which is of the order I run, and he said, what does that mean? I said, we are one and free in Christ Jesus. He said, am I free? I said, have you surrendered your life to Christ? He said, yes. I said, do you serve him with all your heart? He said, I do. 
I said, do you love him beyond everybody else? He said, I do. I said, then sir, you're free. And in front of all the monks, he shouted, I am free. I am free, I'm free. Now, I don't disagree. I don't agree with a lot of what he worships. But wisdom stopped me being an arrogant European preacher. Coming to give him truth. And he accepted me and invited me to his cathedral to preach. See, that's wisdom that doesn't come from academia. That comes from knowing God. Do you know, I've made some stupid decisions as a pastor. Put your hands up if you've ever made a stupid decision. Put your hand up if you're lying. (laughs) I've made some stupid decisions. But I've made some wise ones. And the more wise ones you make, the less stupid ones you make. See, there's a quality in being wise. All these disciplines leaves us open to receive a divine fusion of the Holy Spirit. It's the only facet of the four expressions of wisdom that comes directly from God. Yet when we have this, it will affect the other three categories. We do not rely on the wisdom of this world. I'm not talking about learning or education or academic format. I'm not saying reject them. What I'm saying is saturate them with the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says this, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise that they are useless. See, true wisdom, be it in any category, is enhanced when it's submitted to the Holy Spirit. 2 Chronicles 1.1. This is a very important scripture. It was this scripture that birthed our exposure to witness, to, 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 to wisdom. How do we access wisdom? The opening of it says this, Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom. You don't need God to be good at your job. You don't need God to be a good preacher. You don't need God, because the Mormon church build big churches, but they're not Christian. You don't need God to be successful. And Solomon did not need God to be successful. However, in all the success he got, God comes to him one day and said, I want to give you a gift, what would you like? Now, I wonder what would happen if God asked you that. Now, there's a lot of things he could have asked for, which were justifiable. Need a new car, need a job, need a house. Need my wife to be nicer to me. That's a joke. (laughs) Want my kids to do well. Want to see my mother heal the cancer. All very, very good answers. Solomon, what would you like? Wisdom. Pardon? I want to do everything my father David had done and I just want to be relevant to everything I'm doing now. And God said this, because you didn't ask for what the world asked for, I can trust you to have what the world can't be trusted with. I'll give you more money you've ever seen. I'll give you more fame than you've ever had. Because you never asked for them. God is very good at giving you things you don't ask for, because some of the things we ask for, we can't be trusted with. How many times does kids ask you for things, and you can't trust them with it? They ask you for things at Christmas, and you know it would be impossible to give it them, because A, they wouldn't, they wouldn't bother with them after the first day, or secondly, they'd kill themselves. So as a good parent, you don't give it them. Often what you ask for, you don't get, and what you don't ask for, you get. When I look in my life and see all that God's done for me, I haven't asked for that. When I was walking my dog and heard that the Queen had given me an OBE, I burst out crying, because I've never asked for that. It was the councillors of my council that nominated me for that. Solomon 
was decisive in his actions. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm closing in a moment, but if we want to work in the wisdom of God, we've got to be decisive in what we do. See, it's no good saying the meek shall inherit the earth if that's all right with you. We've got to be decisive. He established himself firmly or with strategy and confidence. Wisdom seldom comes to those people who are not willing to accomplish what they're able to achieve themselves. If you can't do what you can do, why would you do what you can't do? Secondly, the Lord God was with him. See, when God is with us, it's not to pat us on the back. Sometimes it's pat us on the bottom. Because whom God loves, he chasteneth. So if you really want to be wise in God, you will occasionally get a silly boy. Thirdly, he made him exceedingly great. The prosperity of God is not limited but limitless. He can do exceeding and abundantly more than you can ask or think. The success was totally outside of Solomon's personal achievements. I love it when God takes you to places you could never take yourself. Fourthly, Solomon called the leaders of thousands, hundreds, judges, leaders of homes. He knew how to relate to everybody and treated everybody equal. Wise people don't have favorites. And lastly, God asked Solomon, you can have whatever you want so can you you can have whatever you want notice that because he hadn't asked for personal gain he got wealth, possessions and honour somebody said this talent is God given so be humble fame is man given be grateful doesn't last. And conceit is self-given. Be careful. A Greek philosopher once said this, it's not what happens to you, but how you react. That's what matters. You know your level of wisdom and maturity the way you react when things happen to you. I should have retired last year. Things in my church went pear-shaped. We're a very successful, blessed church. We went pear-shaped. I lost five major leaders and about 120 people. Things went terribly pear-shaped. My wife went in hospital. I thought she'd had a stroke, and I was put on blood pressure tablets. It was a bad time. God said to me, how are you going to react? Because how you react will determine how you lead the rest of your life. And I acted in forgiveness. Was it easy? No. Never is. If it was easy, you'd do it all the time, wouldn't you? Sure, isn't it, love? If forgiveness doesn't cost you anything, it's got no value. But I forgave. Now I've appointed 12, 12, 12 new leaders this last 18 months. And they're taking us to levels I've never blooming thought of before. True, isn't it, Melvin? they got this enthusiasm. they got this youth. They're going for it. And they wheel me around in the wheelchair, they do, and they park me by the side of the pulpit. And they wave me hand like this. Hello. And they stop me dribbling. And they, and they say, you're, out, you're the dad. You're the dad of the church. You know, we'll do all the work. You're the dad. You just sit there and encourage us. And you tell us when we're going wrong. Tell us off when we're going wrong. Be a dad. I'll give you this to close with. This is this week. 
When I started in Selby Hall, I was asked to speak at a very, very prestigious place. And it was packed. Not knowing that the chaplain of this institution was a humanist. Church of England vicar, humanist. And halfway through my address, he shouted me down. And I was not lacking in, I was lacking in wisdom then. I was only 27. But I said this, sir, this is a prestigious, very good institution, this is. I said, but one thing I know is bad manners should not be manifested here, so would you kindly sit down and shut up <laughs> until I finish my address and then we can talk about it afterwards. I never spoke there again. He was a bitter and twisted man. And those Christians who were in his institution prayed he get saved and for their knowledge he never did, even though he was a vicar for 40 years. I was on duty this Wednesday at hospital because I'm a chaplain, senior chaplain, as well as everything else. As I'm going on to a ward, a lady came in and saw, saw me in my regalia and she said, Bishop, oh, Bishop, she said, oh, I fancy seeing you on the ward. I have a clergyman who's dying. He's a friend of mine. Would you come and pray for him? So I see this shriveled up old man who's now got Alzheimer's and motor neuron disease. And his wife's crying. And as I stroke his head and hold his hand and say, please, my God, have mercy on this dear man at the end of his life, I look up at the name tag and find it's the man who slagged me off. And because I didn't hold that in my heart, God used me to pray his dying prayer. You see, when you're wise, what goes round comes round. And God says, don't worry, son, I'll vindicate you. One day, when that man is dying, you will be the chaplain on duty. And you're the one who will pray over him with grace and love. Because he's a man that's lost. So if you have to carry that hurt and carry that anger inside you, all you're doing is judging yourself for the rest of your life. You'll never be free. That violation will be there as fresh today as it was 26 years ago. You will never come out of your violation. But the wisdom of God says, you know, my little granddaughter watches, what's that musical? Um, Frozen? My little granddaughter's four. And she watched Frozen so much that she not only can say all the parts and sing the songs, she can do it in an American accent. And she's there acting it in front of the television. But I want to finish today with the song she sings. Let it go, let it go. Look at her, let it go. You got the message? You can't receive wisdom if you're holding something else. Let it go. Some of you have been to other churches and maybe you've had some difficult times. Let it go. Some of you have had experiences in life. You've lost loved ones and it's painful. Let it go. You're allowed to mourn them. You're allowed to weep. Let it go. Broken families. Let it go. Unwise decisions. Let it go. Let's stand. Let's close, close our eyes.
Some of you are stuck in the educational system and you're thinking, well, is it worth it? Yes, yes, do it. Whatever you find your hand to do, do it well. Be academically wise. Be wise in your job. Well, should I push for promotion? Well, unless God shows you otherwise, go and be the head, not the tail. Go on, up you go. Be the foreman. Be the chief lorry driver. Go on. Show kingdom principles. Should I go to that university which is right in the middle of nowhere with no church and no Christian union? Should you? Could you spend three years away from fellowship? Maybe not. Should we move house and go back up country just because there's £3,000 a year job prospect? Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. Don't let the money make the decision, let God make it. Or should we move house because all our family got bigger houses than us? Is that the reason to move or do you need a bigger house? Are you streetwise? If you go out there and you're going to get conned, have all your money ripped off you? Are you still a little bit immature? You get offended quickly, whatever the preacher says, I don't like him saying that. Well then, why don't you submit it to the wisdom of God and say, Holy Spirit, why don't we pray what James said? If any man or woman lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. 